0: Well, as we come to the closing days of 2023, we take a moment to reflect on what's been an incredibly surprising year, certainly from a U.S. economic resilience perspective, which of course is the buzzword of this year. Now, in terms of asset markets, we've seen a 41% gain in the Nasdaq, So that's surprising, people. Momentum, clearly the way to go in equity markets. We've seen carry absolutely smashing it, certainly in LATAM effects. We've seen crypto regaining its mojo, gold at all-time highs and certainly as we look into 2024, we take a look at the key trading themes that are gonna be shaping our trading environment, the markets which should drive sentiment above all else, and some of the trades that we like. It's been a big year. It's gonna be another big year ahead. We're gonna preview all that in the (laughs) trade-off. Well, hi, I'm Chris Weston, Head of Research here at Pepperstone. And in two seconds, I'm going to be joined by Blake Morrow from Forex Analytics. And also, we've got a special guest, Mr. Mikey Brown joins us from the UK trade-off, and we're going to be discussing all the key themes that have been shaping our trading environment throughout 2023. But in, more importantly, as traders, we look forward. We live in the future. So we want to have a look at some of the key themes that will shape or we've, what we suspect will be shaping our environment, the volatility structure in the market, but also some of the assets that we really need to keep an eye on. But before we get to that point, I want to pick the brains of Tamas Arbo. Now, Tamas is the CEO of of Pepperstone. I've had the pleasure of working with Tamas for about 17 years. Prior to uh, various roles as CEO, he has managed flow desks and also trading desks. And so I think he's really got a a great insight into the understanding, the psychology of the trader. He's an active trader himself. So I think he's going to have some really great perspectives on the year that is and also what he's excited about for the year ahead. So welcome Tamas to the the trade-off. Obviously throughout the years, it's been getting traction um, and I think it's really exciting to, to pick your brain. So, it's been a big year. Yep, it has. It has been a big year from a business perspective also, but more importantly from a markets perspective. Yeah, um, You're very, very close to the financial markets um, for, for, for various reasons, but what have you taken out of some of the most memorable moments for you in
1: 2023? Well, it's gonna be difficult to pick specific moments, but one of the big themes that, that came in over the year, which I thought was, um, it was really surprising, was the, the power of the carry trade. Um, mm-hmm. As as we all know, we're all living in an, an environment where interest rates are, you know, elevated. And not that long ago, we were living in an environment where they were quite the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen in the markets and clients, particularly in taking advantage of is that carry trade. Mm-hmm. It, it came out. It, it's weird because you sort of, in hindsight, it was obvious, but it just sort of appeared and it yeah. was really big. Long um, dollar
0: yen has been a, been a big one, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. Dolly N, um, you know the the Latam carriages as you mentioned, they've, they've been a big and it's you know we've we've seen a, a huge client activity in the, in that carriage trade and it sort of it sort of came out, out of nowhere from from where we were earlier in the year. And the other one was I suppose gold as well that a record high that that was and we're we, you know it's our biggest product at mm. uh, Pepperstone, so that was huge for us as well. Yeah, yeah right. big big moments I think for for um, for last year. But what like about this year? I should say. Still.
0: What about sort of trading activity in the environment of volatility? We've seen volatility throughout the year coming down. But that's what's that mean for sort of trading strategies and trading styles for clients? Yeah,
1: it's interesting that volatility has come down, but what we've seen is is, is a real trend in, in trending markets. Um, mm. And so we've seen clients... Uh, well, clients have a tendency to um, mean revert, so they, they counter trends, which I have to say hasn't done them a huge amount of... hasn't been a huge advantage for them this year because yeah. we've seen, obviously, you know, the NASDAQ, the S&P, as I said, gold as well, they're mm. hitting you know, record highs and we've seen a lot of clients counter those trends so that's something that i think a um, bit of a theme for me over the year is that you know trend, a lot of time the trend is your friend you know follow that trend don't don't always assume that it's going to get back to where it was you know yesterday or last week it, it has a tendency to break out
0: it's an interesting one because the nasdaq's been a big performer you know we've had a, a, a yep. blockbuster november and and you and i have been talking about yeah these markets for some time and we all know that the you know traders make money by cutting their losses yeah. And and really quickly and, and riding the trends. But I mean you've been very heavily involved in that and, and we've talked about that, but you know, some of your experiences in in, in, in holding those positions. Yeah, so
1: I mean very recently I, I had I had a couple of trades on. I was um I was uh, short 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 Russell, long Nasdaq. That did really well. If I'd have held that any longer, it would have come completely unstuck because the Russell's really outperformed. So I actually um left my long Nasdaq position open, so I closed the Russell. But then I um, liquidated that NASDAQ far, far too early. And and, and it's just kept on going. I mean, it's, it's come back a bit today. But that's a classic case of, um, you know, uh, to be honest, I was happy with the money I'd made. So it w- w- wasn't a bad trade. Yeah. But I just watched it keep going. And it, it was a classic case of follow that trend. Yeah,
0: know? exactly. Yeah. So exca- extract the most juice out of your trade. I think that's going to be a key lesson for 2024. And on that theme of twenty twenty four, if you look into into the ZARBO Crystal Ball, um, what, <laughs> what are you what, what are you excited about? What what's, what thematic strategies, um, you know, key themes are you looking at, p- client behaviour? What, what are you looking at that, that excites you for twenty twenty four? Well,
1: will will this will this rally continue in in the US markets? I'm I'm a little bit skeptical to be honest um, because those valuations are really stretched. But a lot of the time, you know, a lot of it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. There's some real themes out there that. I mean, the obvious one is AI, and and um, you know where are you going to put your money? Um, and it's you know it, it it you could argue that it probably has a quite a bit more to run before people people feel that like yeah this is just getting really too hot. Um, mm. So I don't know. I, I I feel there's a bit more juice in this market left. Um, you know what else we've got obviously US election up and coming we've already seen some fireworks coming out yeah. of the Trump camp with him um
0: Colorado yeah.
1: Colorado exactly so that that's going to be a big thing i think um you know for the markets um and there'll be a bunch of stuff that comes out out of the you know out of the left field Sorry, and left.
0: one last question before um call it volatility, it, for me, it's like the most important thing in the markets. Where We adapt to volatility. It's how much risk we take on, our position size, everything's around that. How, do you think we're going to see a, a more volatile year in 2024?
1: Well, I'd like to say yes, because it's, it's good for the business. But um, who knows? I, 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 that's one thing that's going to be really, really difficult cool to predict. I'd say it's going to stay relatively calm, I suppose, for the first period of the year. And hopefully we'll get, get some vol um, coming in towards the, you know, a little bit later in the year. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd like to see that at least, anyway. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for your insights, Thomas.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'd just like to say thank you so much for all the viewers, um, and I'd like to thank you for all the customer Pepperstone as well. We really appreciate it, and thanks, Chris and the team for doing such a great job with the trade off. Really appreciate it. Great.
0: Yeah. Cheers, Thomas. Thanks. Well, thank you very much once again, Thomas Arbo. And now I'm going to bring Blake and Michael Brown into the program. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show and welcome, Michael Brown. First time we've the three of us have got together. I think it'd be good to maybe get Ryan on the show in, in 2024 as well to get some of his insights. But I think probably a, a great place to start on this trade-off special bonanza, whatever you want to call it, um, is a re- slight reflection on 2023. I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I want to get your insights. You know, it's been some surprises in 2023 um but I want to understand what your biggest surprise is of all the many that we've seen. I mean, I'm going to probably start the proceedings off here, if I may, in terms of the the, the surprises that I think that, that, you know, for me is, is the big one. And, I, you know, Tamas mentioned it uh, in his one, and that is the carry that we've been seeing uh, in LATAM currencies. Now, if you told me at the beginning of the year that the Fed were going to raise another 100 basis points and get the Fed funds rate to 5.3%, that we were going to see the 10-year Treasury get to 5%, that we were going to see real rates moving higher, all these factors at the same time, When we're sort of going to see a potential banking crisis coming through in March, um, and that the EM currencies and certainly LATAM central banks were going to be cutting rates, Um, I would have, you know, and you told me that we were going to get a 20% return uh, in the Colombian peso, um, you know, something a bit less in the Mexican peso, but then you adjust that for carry and the interest that you get from that, and you're getting a 40% return in the Colombian peso, 28% return year to date in the Mexican peso. I would have laughed. That's the biggest surprise
2: for me. Michael Brown, what are you thinking? Well, good evening, mate. Thank you for having me. I think the biggest theme for me has been just broadly economic resilience over the last 12 months or so. I mean, obviously, U.S. economic outperformance has been the key theme of 2023. Growth in the U.S. has just... Absolutely knocked it out of the path, out of the park over the net, over the last twelve months, uh, including that north of five percent GDP print in the third quarter. But even when you look elsewhere, growth is actually all right. We all came into 2023 saying the eurozone is going to have a recession as a result of energy prices. It didn't happen. We came into the year saying the UK is going to have a recession as a result of the mortgage refinancing wave that's going on here in in Blighty. It hasn't yet happened. I guess the only blot on that copybook is what's happening in China. Growth there is not great, it's certainly subpar, but it's not exactly disastrous. And perhaps 2024 looks a little bit brighter over in China. Blake, what about you, my friend? Well,
3: I'm going to stay on the topic of resilience. And speaking as an American, being here in the United States, I have been personally so surprised at the US labor market. And I, I mean, we've seen consistent beats especially at the beginning of 2023 i mean how many months uh, did we have in a row where we we beat the numbers and healthily beat the numbers and uh then if you look at the weekly unemployment claims i think there was a time around june of this year where we where we got up to about 250,000 claims and then everybody thought the world was going to end And they dropped again. I mean, Americans are working; the labor force is strong. As you pointed out, Michael, I mean, globally,
0: economic data has been very resilient. So this has been a surprise to me as well. I think just to wrap this up on this segment, the word of two thousand and twenty-three, Michael touched on it, is resilience. It's there's nothing, you know, disinflation, all these things, but the word is resilience. And you know, everyone was saying that we were going to get a recession second half of the year. You could not have got further from the truth. You literally couldn't, 5%. So resilience is the word of 2023. I'm going to put my neck out and say 2024, the word is going to be fed put. Well, phase is going to be fed put. But I think Michael banged it on the head with that resilience trade. It feeds nicely into Blake. And yeah, I mean, it's just expect the unexpected and have an open mind, I think, is, is the clear mantra there. Well, Jen, that was great in terms of uh, you know some of the surprises. But... I think we, what we need to do now is, is look ahead and, you know, again looking for our crystal ball. I mean, I think we can make a, an assumption of, of of what we think are going to be some of the key themes, and I think this is really really important for understanding our risk and 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 you know what could market could be very sensitive to in 2024. So I'm really interested to tap your brains and your minds about what we think are going to be some of the key themes that investors and traders are going to have to navigate in in 2024. And and once again, I, I've got the mic, so I'm going, to, I'm going to take it away. And I think for me. Um, one of the I talked about this idea that the fed put is very much uh, you know is going to be one of the buzzwords and what i mean by that is, is yeah, I think the markets are going to be feel protected. I think part of the reason we've seen such a strong rally recently in risk assets and people have gone into such junk areas of the market is because they know that the Fed now have their back. Buy the dip is back in vogue. I know it never really went away, but I think now, yeah, people look at the Fed and they say, well, look, we've got falling inflation. Inflation, the distribution of inflation is clearly skewed to the downside. That's a really, really important distinction to make. Uh, the Fed are not going to go and ease policy with inflation on the rise. We know it's, it's, it's coming down to target, maybe late next year, if not early 2025. Uh, the Fed have now got five, 5.3% to mess around with on, on the funds rate as well. Um, you know, If they want to help business and consumers, they obviously can cut rates and front load rate cuts if we were to see signs of a recession. You know, the balance sheet's contracted by 1.2 trillion or so uh, since those highs, but the Fed have been very, very, very effective in using their balance sheet to ring fence certain issues that could be sist- uh, systemic playing through. And the markets knows that the Fed, do not mess around in that situation. So I think if we were to see any kind of issues playing through, that we'd, yeah, the, the market knows this time is different because inflation's going down, they've got a higher Fed funds rate and the balance sheet can be used very effectively uh, to provide liquidity and capital to uh, targeted areas of the market. So the market knows if we're going to get a 15, 20% drawdown in the equity market, if there's something out there, the Fed, have your back. The put is in the market and I think they'll probably go to test out the Fed at some stage. Michael, thoughts on the Fed
2: put? uh it's a bold call mate to be honest with you i mean the fed put became a fed call in 2022 and that stayed the case in 2023 so i would actually argue i i think the, the Fed, given recent communication, they're probably not particularly happy with the market reaction to the December dovish pivot that everyone is is shouting and screaming from the rooftops about. And I'd actually argue that maybe the risks are that the market's got a little bit ahead of itself and a little bit over overexcitable in terms of the, the cuts that the Fed will deliver next year. And maybe that Fed put strike prices just a little bit lower than most are expecting.
0: I think it's higher than where it was last year, but I think by the dip, Will be a theme. If the market will probably look to test them out, Blake, what do you think?
3: Well, no, I'm going to have to agree with you. have got to buy the dip, but you know you have to look at the, the the Fed and what they've done with monetary policy. Kind of like kind of like a having a revolver, and they they shot off all their bullets during during COVID. They re, they 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 reloaded their revolver with a bunch of bullets, and they can fire. And that's gonna that's gonna support markets on dips. So I agree with you, Chris. I, I think. And I agree with you, Michael. Also, the market is a little frothy here. The market will be tested. Will test the Fed, but big dips—they're going to still be bought. And
0: I, I think we need to keep that in mind. So, Blake, ever the diplomat, working between me and Michael. I'm slight like, <laughs> slight disagreement there, Michael. I want to hear your thoughts. What's your what's your big uh, macro
2: theme for the year? Well, I want to go on to my bread and butter, mate, which is the FX market. And I think next year we're going to move towards the middle of the dollar smile. We're all familiar with the concept of the dollar smile, I'm sure, where there are two environments where the dollar outperforms compared to its G10 peers. One is when US economic growth is outperforming compared to the rest of the world. And the other is when everyone is worried about a recession and there's a lot of haven demand present in the market. I think 2024 is going to be a year where we- we actually move towards the middle of that smile. Economic growth in the U.S. economy is going to catch down, to coin a phrase, to peers in the rest of the world as the rest of the world, let's be frank, catches up to the pace of growth seen in the U.S. over the last 12 months or so. So I think on balance, the dollar should depreciate over the next 12 months. Well, the key question is, of course, why will the Fed cut rates? We've got about 150 basis points worth of easing priced into the market over the next 12 months into the December 2024, if the Fed are cutting because they want to make sure a soft landing is absolutely the case as inflation continues to fade, then that should be a negative for the dollar. But if we're in a situation where the Fed are looking to cut rates because growth is falling off a cliff and the labor market is weakening at a very, very rapid pace, then that could be a little bit of a dollar positive. But my base case is for relatively broad based dollar weakness over the next 12 months or so. Westy, Blake, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, well, I, I have to say, technically speaking, uh, I am looking to buy dollars on dips, and I, I do think we're in a big range. I get what you're saying about the, the smile, and I have a lot to say about in the next topic here in a second. We're going to talk a little bit more deeper about what what I'm going to be looking for in 2024, which in, in turn should speak to dollar bullishness. So I think dollars should be bought on this dip, um, but that's going to be, I'll get more into that as we move along. So, Chris, what are your thoughts here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with Michael's thesis. Uh, obviously, everything really revolves around the asset markets and yeah, volatility. You know, volatility. Um, you know if, if, if you make the point, if, if we're going to see a recession uh, and an and equity drawdown and we do come in to test the Fed puts, as I talk about, then the dollar's going to rally in that situation, regardless of the, the market discounting high uh, Fed cuts. But yeah, if we're going to get that mean reversion and yeah, the rest of the world growing somewhat better and s- recovering a little bit, and then the US converging, then it makes sense that in theory, if we still see you know, positive asset returns in equity markets, that the US dollar's going to grind a little bit lower. So yeah, I can't argue with that thesis, but you know, volatility is going to be the key and, and the reason why cutting. At the moment, it's just a soft landing camp, but if we were to accelerate a view that we're going to see a recession, you know central bank's front load um, you know, rate cuts, then the US dollar's going to rally in the sense of a safe haven. So it's 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 it depends on that volatility, but yeah, I, I, I can't fault the thesis. And I think that's a, yeah, that, that's a consensus trade, which is concerned. But yeah, I think um, yeah, it's really volatility. Blake, I want to hear your uh, your macro or your your key theme for two thousand and twenty
3: four. Well, my key theme for two thousand and twenty four is probably the one that was talked most about in two thousand twenty three, whether there was going to be a soft landing or a potential recession, and um, and and talking about the lags. And I and I have to say that COVID and monetary policy response due to The pandemic that we we dealt with you know in in 2020 and 2021 it it has a obviously a much bigger lag i believe than the market had anticipated but this is the year we're going to be dealing with the 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 argument whether there is going to be a soft landing or a recession now i believe that the lag is so great um if you think about like um march 22 march 2022 to august 2023 Rates went up about 5% here in the U.S. And, and, you know, respectively in different different countries. If you draw a comparison to like March of 72 to September of 73, rates were cut as a recession, you know, started uh, and it was about one and a half percent that they cut, just like what the market's pricing going into 2024. But in summer of 2024, the Fed raised rates 300 basis points. And then the recession lasted almost as long as the GFC, which was, Nearly two years. So back in the 70s, it seems like we're following that exact same playbook right now. And so that is gonna be the biggest theme, in my opinion, for 2024. What do you guys think there? How about you? Uh we can start with Michael. What do you think about
2: well? Let's be honest, Blake, some things never change. I mean, we were sat here in December 2022 going the US is gonna have a recession, is are we gonna have a soft landing? Are we gonna have a hard landing? Whatever. And we're sat here in December 2023 having exactly the same conversation <laughs> with the, the yield curve we're just or a little bit older. still just <laughs> as inverted as it was back then. Um, I guess the odds are slightly more in favor of a soft landing at this point than they were previously. Um, But it all hinges on the labor market for me. Um, You know, we've seen jobless claims rise, particularly the continuing claims number. That's worrying for me. Um, But the the establishment and the household surveys and the BLS report haven't yet mirrored that increase. So that's something I'm going to be watching very, very closely indeed into next year, because if the labor market softens, you would expect consumption to soften as a result. And then obviously GDP growth. Growth is is going to fall off as a result. Westy, what, what are your thoughts? Man? Well, I think the Fed's uh, yeah, view of 4.1% by the end of next year is
0: probably a little bit optimistic, to be fair. And I certainly don't sit in the Jeffries camp who are calling for 6.1% on the unemployment rate next year. But I think, yeah, somewhere around 4.4%, 4.5% would probably be be fair. But I think what's important now is that the soft landing is, is, is just so priced in. Um, and, yeah, we just can – I think as traders, what's most important – uh, is not to 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 have a strong view on this, but just trade what you see in front of you. And um, you know, if we were to see the data showing a worrying trend, then you know you're going to see high volatility, and that's going to affect our trading environment absolutely. Um, but I think at the moment, the, the the soft landing camp seems to be fair. Um, yeah, the, the the consensus is we get you know 0.7 of a percent growth. You know, going into Q3, that's going to hit a lull, and then it should start you know getting better. But you know, as we've seen, in and, and you rightly point out, Michael people get it wrong I mean it's pie in the sky stuff and you've got a your model takes in so many different assumptions if any of those assumptions are wrong then of course you know your whole model goes out so yeah I think for traders it doesn't really matter you know but all we know is that what's being priced in at the moment and that's a soft landing, and that sets us up, you know, for some high volatility if the if the if the data does deteriorate, and and I think that's going to be an interesting one. Hopefully, we do see some high volatility. Obviously, we don't want to see the expense of people losing their job, but uh, you know, it'd be nice to see some life in the market in two thousand and twenty-four. I'm going to take over the next one. I think one of the big talking points uh, for twenty twenty-four uh, is going to be the U.S. election. I mean, I, f- I feel sorry for you, Blake. It's going to be absolutely deafening, but you know. As I've tried to point out to Blake many times before, your news does make it outside of the, of the US and, and we, yeah, in Australia and the UK, we're going to be dealing with it every five minutes of the day as well. Um, and I think that's, yeah, the, yeah, the Senate's, 33 uh, Senate seats are up for grabs at the moment. I think 23 of those Democrats, it feels like the, the Republicans should probably take control of the Senate um, all 435 congressional districts are up for grabs in the House. Obviously, um, yeah, that, that's a that's a toss up. But, you know, it looks like the Republicans may get that one. Trump against Biden. I, I don't think the Colorado issue is going to derail Trump's chances. I think he's still, he'll still be the nominee uh, by what we're seeing. But I think in terms of market um, situations, for me, um, when does this become a market f- thematic? And when does it become deafening? I think we're going to start seeing the primaries coming out in January. It's going to be Super Tuesday, where I think market's going to really start latching on and that comes out i think on the, on the on the 5th of march i think that's when i think the market starts taking in we got the 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 conventions coming through republicans in in mid mid july uh you know the democrats a little bit later on in august uh, and i think then it starts going into the nitty gritty as we get the debates playing through yeah is this going to be a, a massive market driver i think all candidates are known their policies are known uh michael do you think this is going to be i know it's obviously going to be deafening but do you think this is going to be a massive volatility event
2: um, no, to give you a one word answer, I, I don't think it will. I think, you know, we're, we're, the chances are we're going to end up with Biden versus Trump round two. Um, And actually, is there that much of a a difference in policy that markets are going to latch on to? Probably not. I mean, I'm I'm going a little bit off piste here, but I would argue that, you know, obviously I have a home bias here, but the biggest story next year might even be a UK election. You know, are we going to have a situation where the Conservatives are out of power after 13 years in government? And uh, even we could end up with a, a situation where we have a UK and a US election within about a fortnight of each other if you believe the, the reports that are currently going on, which uh, it will will either be great fun or an absolute nightmare, depending on your point of view. But of course, Blake, you're going to be living and breathing this over in Arizona over the next 12 months. So good luck to you, my friend. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to you know, I'm going to uh, agree with you, Michael. I don't think
3: it's going to be as big of a deal because we know what the known quantities are and we know what we're doing. With. And uh, but I agree with you, uh, Chris, I believe it's going to be a Trump presidency. I think he's gonna. It's gonna be a Trump Biden, and Trump's probably as as long as nothing changes from here, which anything can change from here. But the fun will start in 2025, and that's when everybody needs to fire up Twitter again. So <laughs> if you. If you've had it on the back burner, you need to put it back on your phone. So.
0: I think the only thing that that yeah, you're right. The the, the one thing that, that that does get me. I mean, we're talking about AI regulation. We're talking about clean energy structures, and all this. But the one thing that I think that, that could be a big dollar positive is these this tr- um, trade tax, this the import tax that uh, that that Trump's proposing. You know, ten percent uh, import tax coming through across all goods. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily priced into markets. That's a new development. I think that that yeah that that mm. could increase protectionism, and that would be a US dollar positive, especially if we have got a red wave playing through. So an interesting one there. Yeah. Anyway, um, right. Who's next, Michael? Let's uh, let's hear your
2: next one. Yeah, it's back to me. I think I want to talk about inflation. I mean, obviously, 2023 has been a year of. I guess you could call it immaculate disinflation. Oh, it's such a lovely word, you know, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I've stolen it from you, mate. Um, you know, we've had the headline CPI come down from 9 to 10%, all the way back down to 25 to 4-ish%. percent. I mean, even in the, the UK this morning, we've lagged the pack massively on this one, but we've now got uh, CPI finally back below the 4% handle. But I think the last mile of getting inflation back to those 2% targets that central banks want to achieve is probably going to be the hardest because if you think about the forces that have been driving inflation lower over 2023 it's all come from the good side of the equation and you've had a little bit of a dose of base effects coming in to help things move lower as well services Prices there are still very, very sticky, and as we touched on earlier, Blake mentioned the labour market remains very, very tight. Unemployment uh, is pretty much sub four percent in most developed market economies. So I think that last journey from two and a half to four percent back to two percent is going to be the hardest part of the cycle for central banks. And I think this is where the real risk comes in because you've got to look back to 2021 and early 2022 when when central banks were sat there going, inflation is transitory, these price pressures are temporary. We're going to look through them. They're going to go away. And they were scarred by that. They got their fingers burnt and they got that wrong. And I think the real risk going into next year is that central banks end up keeping policy too tight for too long because they don't want to repeat what they did in 2021. And because they don't want to repeat that, they end up making a second policy mistake. Gents, what are your thoughts?
0: Chris, you want to go? Um, yeah, I mean, we start talking about R-Star and all this kind of nonsense and bits and pieces. <laughs>
2: We're not going into to R-Star. No, I mean, I think
0: the interesting <laughs> thing is like the Fed are going to cut rates before we get to anywhere near the target. They've said, you know, people are saying that they're going to start easing policy yeah, when we see it getting through two and a half percent, and that's going to be the trigger point. So they're not going to wait till till we get to target. They're going to start easing policy before that point. So with the convictions. But what happens if we were to see this this issue where you know we were to see some sort of economic rebound, and we were to see yeah, inflation perhaps not going to target? You know, the market. If you look at CPI fixings, it is pricing that we get down to target in the Fed uh, the Fed um, called PCE number uh, by October next year. Now, what happens if we don't? Um, and and yeah, that that's something that. That's not discounted into the market and that would muddle the situation. So, again, we just come into this thing. We were so everyone was the consensus was so wrong, as Michael points out, going into this year. Um, what happens if it's wrong next year? We'll have to need to adapt. So, just keep an open mind there. But the Fed will cut before we get to that point. But the question is, if, what happens if we were to see inflation holding up for much longer um, and, and not getting to those points that the markets discounted, Blake?
3: Well, I, I just need to mention, you know, Michael, I, I've often used the analogy of it's its like these central banks are at, at the end of a, a marathon. And it's those last couple miles that are going to be the toughest. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, financial conditions, they're not tightening, they're loosening. And we have we have the Suez uh, Canal issue right now. Uh, energy prices are already on the rise. Uh, you know, this is going to make central banks jobs really difficult as we get into the beginning of this next year so I think it's great that you brought up this as a big theme for 2024 because I think kicking off the year it really is going to be so
0: all right Blake we're going to take you home yeah. with uh, the central bank divergence themes um, let's uh, do it yeah talk, talk us through talk us through you know what, what what yeah really appealing to you in terms of this macro thematic for next year
3: well, as far as divergences go, you know the, the the bottom line is I don't feel that every central bank. It's not a one one shoe, one size fits all feet type of situation. We all rose rates together, generally speaking. But you're going to see that 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 U.S. exceptionalism. I know we've mentioned a little bit here, and I believe it's going to continue to shine a little bit as rates are at you know respective neutral levels. You're going to start to see rates getting cut different places whether it's europe whether it's the uk whether it's uh canada you know as as mortgage rates you know have to have to have mortgages have to be refinanced that's going to make its way into the economies and and the us might end up standing alone here or maybe with other countries but then you've got you know d- the differences in, in 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 different parts of asia in mexico you know Mexico is going to be a beneficiary Mexico might end up keeping its rates a little bit higher versus other latam countries that are cutting that maybe they'll cut but not as aggressive so i think that that divergence that policy divergence is going to create massive amounts of volatility and that's going to make 2024 really one of the best years in my opinion and probably in the history of my you know years of trading Probably one of the best trading
0: years coming up this next year. What what are your guys' thoughts there? I'm going to jump in quickly, Michael, because if we're talking central bank, it's just too easy to go out and say oh, I want to be long the yen. I mean, long yen's the um, yeah the consensus trade because consensus, you know, yeah by the end of next year, yeah you know, they're they're expected to to move away from negative interest rates and actually start maybe a very tepid hiking cycle from a pure divergence perspective. People are saying long yen. I don't think it's going to be that easy, but I do like the Auss- Aussie dollar and and a Kiwi dollar, as long as equity markets can hold up. Because, you know, from a divergence perspective, we're expecting 60 basis points. The market's pricing 60 basis points of cuts for both central banks. And I think there's risks that they don't go by that much. You know, we've got a hawkish central bank still very much in Australia. Um, But I think the race is on. Who's going to cut first? The Bank of Canada are expected to first G10 central bank, just purely by the fact that they've got the earliest uh, central bank meeting. So it looks like if if, if market pricing is anywhere correct, which it may not be, that the Bank of Canada are going to set us off. um, And then you're looking at who's going to be cutting more rates. I think growth is going to be a really key factor in that. So relative growth rates,
2: Michael, views? No, very short and sweet. I think it could be a year or two halves. I think H1 2024 is, as you rightly say, a a race to cut rates, you know, whoever cuts first their currency is going to be punished. But do you then end up in a situation in the second half of the year where, and I'm really thinking about Europe at this point, you know, you end up with more cuts being delivered in the first six months of 2024, which means that actually the growth outlook in the second half then becomes a little bit more positive. Um, You know, so do you then end up with a situation where the currency may be punished in the first Half because the central bank is aggressively cutting before its peers, but actually in the second half, that currency could then find some some reward because growth is proving more resilient than the rest of the world because everyone else is behind that easing curve.
0: Hmm. And I think we, we we talked about it in the earlier section. It's it's why they're cutting as well, I think, which is going to be really important. So are they, are they bring it because the central bank no longer needs a restrictive policy and they want to bring it back down to a more neutral setting over time? Or is it because they actually want to stimulate further down the line and actually front load cuts because recession risks are coming through? So, you know, th- there's two reasons for it. I mean, risk assets rally if we're going to get a soft landing and they're just normalizing policy to bring it to a neutral setting. You know, we're going to see safe haven, you know, US dollar, you know, carry unwound if it's they're cutting because, you know, they're to be front loaded so cutting's fine it's the reason why i think which is going to cause the move. blake you look like you want to say something i was just going to say
3: going back to michael's point about inflation who's who's to say that we're not neutral right now so academics
0: all right
2: five percent is not neutral <laughs> no, okay. no. all right We'll well, you, see, you've that's that's got you've to, be to believe. You've got to believe
0: that. You've got to believe that. Four hundred and twenty PhDs from Harvard and MIT who's sitting on the on the Fed, yeah, can can model r star and all these factors and understand what restrictive. And you've got to hope that they understand what a neutral rate is or anywhere close to that. But yeah, we'll see. That's the factor. Yeah. Anyway, so some really interesting um, macro and and big ticket yeah. items that, that, that could shape our, our thoughts. So some really good insights there. I think I probably want to take this forward now, gents, and and, and have a look at some of the key markets that, that we want to be watching above all else. So I want everyone just to pick perhaps one market which you think is, is perhaps um, more important to broad asset volatility uh, than, than other markets. Um, I'm guessing I, I, that bond, bond market is going to feature very heavily in this situation. But I think I look ahead at a market that I think everyone needs to have on their radar. Um, and I'm going to lead, lead things off again um, and I'm going to start uh, with volatility. Now, not specifically a market. Now, the reason I'm not bringing it up is because I think, um, you know, everyone's going to be. Tu- I'm sure Michael's going to be touching on the bond market, and a bond market obviously very important. Rates, right? so all those factors. But for me, as a trader you know the most important thing for me is to understand my my market environment by which i trade in on a daily basis whether i'm a day trader i'm looking for you know intraday trends whether it's a mean reverting day a distributed day and volatility just attaches that situation volatility defines what markets I want to trade, whether it's the US dollar, whether I'm going to be long and short. Um, and, and if you look at things like average true range or implied vol and the expected move, it defines how much risk I'm going to be taking on in any one position. And If I know my risk, then I know my position size. So for me, you know, you need to be dynamic as a trader to volatility. Now, you can look at things like the VIX. We can look at one month S&P implied vol. We can look at, you know, the move index. There's the whole range of things that you can understand that. And you can look at, you know, actual movement in itself like um, the average true range or the average daily range, I think is really important to understand that, um, that, that movement that we're seeing in there. So it's not an instrument per se, um, but for me in 2024, you know, volatility structures playing through that defines what I'm trading, um, the direction I want to be trading in, my hold times, whether I want to be in front of the screens and ultimately how much risk I'm taking on, which is really what we do as traders we manage risk and we manage position sizing so volatility for me uh, is is and and you know the definition of volatility for me is is for probably the most important thing for 2024 michael what are you thinking
2: well you know i hate to disappoint you mate and uh, you know you said i was going to mention the bond market so i will mention the bond you market have to, you have i think yeah Exactly. And, you know, there is an incredibly good reason why the 10-year yield has its tagline as the world's most important interest rate. And frankly, it's because it's true. And I know I've been harping on about this all year. And Blake, your very good friend, Ryan Littlestone, has joined me in harping on about this all year. But I think it is incredibly important to be watching the treasury market now more than ever, not only because it is a huge driver of other financial markets, whether you're trading gold or silver or other precious metals, the dollar, for instance, also obviously tech stocks having a huge correlation with uh, with with interest rates at this point. But it's also a huge input into uh, the, the thinking and the psyche behind Fed policy shifts. Obviously, the 10 year Treasury yield and yields across the curve have a huge impact on those financial conditions indices that we love to, to watch and quote uh, as they uh, tighten and loosen over the course of the next 12 months. But I think fundamentally for me, and this is how I viewed uh, markets for, for donkey's years now, is that the 10 year yield is, quote unquote, the best sort of one stop shop to gauge what the market's thinking. Whether